uh, Dina and Santos, am I to assume that you're some sort of amorous couple as well, being that you're sitting that close to each other? Yes. Correct. And, and you're in the same band? Yes. Yes. Do you really enjoy spending that much time with her or with him? Welcome to the Asbury Park Vibes podcast. Asbury Park Vibes is dedicated to sharing information about the live music scene in the Asbury Park area, as well as the bands who've traveled through. We thank you for tuning in, downloading, or just stumbling upon our podcast. And welcome, everybody. This is Doug Drescher for Asbury Park Vibes. I'm solo tonight. If only because I may have forgotten to tell uh, Diane DeMimo what I was doing, but she's also in the process of uh, moving her entire estate to the fine island of Hawaii. Uh, she's not moving to Hawaii, but she wishes. But uh, uh, we have a band here tonight that we have waited a very long time to actually have on, uh, probably because I am the laziest man on the planet, so it's a little easier <laughs> for people to track me down. I'd like to welcome, please, the Antoine... Pons, Pons, Anton Poncelet Band. Uh, let me try that again. We'd like to welcome the Antoine Poncelet Band. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Glad, Glad to, to be here. here. So um, right off the bat, I do have to ask the interesting question. Um, is, is goth making a comeback here in New Jersey? I, I had the opportunity to go to a very frightening club in Newark. Um where I didn't fit in very well, but uh, everyone else seemed pretty accepting of me. You know, what's what's going on that this is making a bit of a comeback? Um, I think in part the darker, troubling past couple of years have uh, you know, kind of brought people to different places, seeking out kind of a different sound that you know, they haven't really heard in a while that actually fits the mood. And... Um, you know, a club like QXTs. Yes, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, uh, yeah, that's where all the bats can get together. And, you know. <laughs> oh, it's a cool place. I mean, mm -hmm. I wasn't wearing any uh, makeup, but I certainly, well, I was wearing black from head to toe, so I thought that was the most I could do. Anyway, mm -hmm. the, the reason I bring up goth or, or sort of that darker thing is, is certainly when I was listening to the music and doing a little bit of research and hearing what you guys do, uh, my first thought was you reminded me a lot of uh, Nick Cave and maybe very late birthday parties, little a little bit of that sort of scratchy junky sound with some <laughs> real sort of dark, dark imagery. So um, oh, <laughs> let's uh, let's first introduce uh, the people who are with us. We have Antoine Poncelet. Uh, Antoine, uh, you're the lead singer. Do you play any of the instruments in the band? No, um, I started with a little bit of some guide guitar and occasionally when new songs come up you know just for arrangement purposes but i felt it was a lot more freeing not to have anything and not to worry about schlepping amps and stuff to show oh, that's a good way to do it isn't it yeah and uh even you know with the recording stuff like that i just really want everything to have a live feel so i was like well if that's the sound we're going for if each person's playing one thing yeah and, and i could assume you have the largest collection of dark hats Yes. <laughs> okay. Every, there's there's got to be someone in the band with a dark hat. <laughs> yes, yes. I, Martin Clemens, the clam, our bass player, who's not here with us this evening, he's giving me a run for his, the money. But um, 
I think my taste is more eclectic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, has 15 fedoras there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we have Dina and Santos, and Dina has uh, donned her famous black hat. So, uh, Dina, what instrument do you play in the band, uh, other than doing graphics and fun stuff like that? What's, what's your function in the band? Well, uh, I do uh, backup, uh, backup vocals, and, and occasionally the band indulges me and lets me do some acoustic guitar. Uh-huh. And uh, hopefully when we do some acoustic shows, I can uh, step up a little bit there, a bit more. Uh, and, uh, you know, occasional sound, tambourine, things like that, of that nature. But um, I basically uh, try to help a lot by staying out of the way when they're setting up. That's mm-hmm. that's. Roll. That's a good way to do it. And then you don't break anything. And and Santos, I'm going to guess, I mean, you look like you should be playing the drums with the shoulders like that. But what instrument are you playing there, Santos? I'm a keyboard player. Okay. I'm a, a player of various keyboard instruments. Right now, I've cut it down to one. So now people can actually see my face while I'm actually playing in the band. Mm-hmm. I used to have a double rack where I was completely hidden, except for my hat. I do wear a hat as well. Sometimes. Okay, thank God. Yeah, there you go. We have to be hat wearers. It's very important. Very important these days. Well, you know, I once had a double rack, but I had it surgically removed. It was very uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) And we have Peter Quilla, who has uh, been on our podcast before with the Vigilante Cowboys. Peter obviously plays guitar. How are you, Peter, today? I'm doing fine. Thank you. And uh, I'd imagine, are are there certain guitars you play with this band as opposed to the other band? Are, Are some guitars more dark and scary than others? Um, I mean, I, I, with this band, I played, uh, the SG, which is my basic workhorse. Cause unlike a lot of people I know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm poorer than them. So I can't have a lot of them, but I use that one. And then I have, uh, I have an Epiphone ES335 mm-hmm. Pro, you know, semi hollow body. That's a so, gorgeous guitar too. Yeah. You've probably seen it in one of the photos. I've sure. Used that. And, uh, cause some of the more, you know, cleaner sounds. I've used them. Um, you know, it's for a guitar player, I only own like four electric guitars. I have a massive suburban uh middle-aged man's uh collection, like some people do. You know, <laughs> I, I just don't. It just doesn't happen. But you know, um I th- I don't think, you know, it's not about, you know, it's not about what kind of guitar is dark, it's about how you play and how you fit the music and you know, I use certain effects to uh, the best uh, to the best ability, but you know, it's you, know, you just play what fits the song. You know, if you know how to play well, then it doesn't matter what guitar you had. I, I, you know, there's a story that um, John Coltrane or Charlie Parker, one of those guys. You know, he they cut records out of a plastic horn that they hawked at a pawn mm-hmm. shop for junk. So, you know, what does that tell you? You know. Sure. Oh, absolutely. So let, let's uh, start with a, the basic everyday question. So essentially, how did you meet and how did you end up being in a band? We'll start. We'll let Antoine start that one. Sure. <laughs> well, um, this particular version of the band started around kind of mid uh, quarantine COVID times. Um, my previous band was uh, Precious Bones and due to COVID and a bunch of other factors, everything, you know, kind of went their own separate ways. Mm-hmm. So I personally didn't want to stop playing. I thought, you know, 
we're going to end this kind of stuff. We're going to be able to go back out there. And, you know, maybe it's time for the kind of music that I've been working on and writing throughout my, you know, musical life and in different bands. But I never really took, you know, the kind of center stage, like in Precious Bones, uh, I, sh you know, was kind of behind the guitar and using it as a shield in a way. And my sister was also like a co-singer of the band. Mm -hmm. And, you know, any band I was in before too was just kind of, just in the background. So mm -hmm. I kind of wanted to see what it was like to be, you know, kind of this <laughs> Paul Stanley figure or something. <laughs> so, and I, you know, I was like, well, you know, I have such a weird name. It, you know, <laughs> why not that be the name of a band? You know, who, who would you know, come out to kind of see that? No, that's funny. So, yeah. Now, were, were your musical interests always in the sort of off the beaten path kind of thing? Um, well, I was a child, definitely of watching, you know, sitting home, watching MTV for hours and hours. And, you know, as later it got, the better the videos were. And you had, <laughs> what, what were the videos that you look forward to seeing? Well, um, what first really made me want to play music was seeing the movie Labyrinth. So it was kind of, you know, this weird rock star image that Bowie had within that movie, where mm -hmm. it's kind of musical kind of guy. And then, you know, I caught on to like Peter Murphy early and kind of things that I felt were like that and had that similar sound. You know, so Iggy Pop, you know, people that were associated with Bowie. I think, you know, even at a young age when my friends were just, you know, listen to Bon Jovi and Metallica. I was like, yeah, you don't fit. Uh, did you grow up in New Jersey? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, you don't quite uh, fit the New Jersey. Uh... <laughs> yeah. No, up until I was about five or six, I was, you know, I had, my father had a strange career where we were kind of globe trotting a bit, but, you know, definitely spent <laughs> most of the eighties and all the nineties in, you know, Jersey. And you know, I never felt like the whole grunge thing. It was always, you know, glam rock and Sabbath and everything. Sure. That kind of period. So, so then after your, your pre-COVID band, Precious Bones, which I have to say is actually a cool name for a band. <laughs> it's hard to get a good name for a band, right? Oh, yeah. uh, uh, how, did you, how did you go about meeting this group? And, and people mm -hmm. can't see us, but, you know, none of us are in our 20s anymore. So I guess the, the bigger question is, how is sort of an established grown-up uh, mm -hmm. go about finding other grown-ups who are interested in being in a band or could even find the time to do it? Well, we all met at the uh, Sad Bastards Bar. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank uh, goodness they have handicapped parking right, right. so I can get there. Exactly. No, I put out a couple ads on Facebook and was, you know, a follower of Pete's band, um, Marker, bass player. You know, I've seen him and played different shows with the incarnations of his different bands you know, for the past 15 years. So he was finally like, and he had always said, oh, I want to do a side project with you or something. I'm like, well, you know, I need a bass player. Come join this. Um, a keyboard player reached out to me and then he had brought in a drummer. You know, and since then we've had, you know, Santos come in and then, um, you know, Eddie from US Chaos is now our drummer. Wow, that's a, that's a good get. Oh yeah, he's awesome. And, you know, he's still obviously playing with them and he's working with a, uh, Another friend of ours, Paul Mauld on Bamberdost, I believe. That's the name. Yeah, that's the name. Now, is, is that Eddie Enzyme? Yes. yes. So yeah. I know Eddie from 30 years ago. I, I mean, he wouldn't recognize me. 
but <laughs> he was in a band called Fahrenheit 451. Okay. Yeah. And um, of my college friends grew up with a gentleman named Ethan Maroulis, who was the singer of uh, Fahrenheit 451, whose younger brother came in, I think, fourth on American Idol a bunch of years back. Uh, oh, but Ethan still runs his sort of uh, independent label and mm-hmm. promotes a lot of uh, of that sort of gothy, post-goth bands. Oh. And then I went to college with uh, Caroline Blind, who fronted the band uh, Sunshine Blind. Okay. And so, and that's how she was putting a one-off together to play at QXT and asked me to sit in on guitar. <laughs> and that's how I ended up playing in my first and only goth experience uh, at, at that at that uh, establishment in, in oh. the area in the Newark suggest uh, area of the uh, dark and scary arts. So uh, that, that was interesting. It's a small community and very interesting. Uh, Dina and uh, Santos, uh, how did yes. you come about to wanting to return to playing or have you been playing this whole time? What made you decide to be in a band again? Well, here's the thing. Um, I have been playing guitar for a long time. But I originally was a keyboard player. That's my main instrument. Uh, their previous keyboard player had left, and they put an ad on Facebook, a listing on Facebook. Now, I'm friends with these guys. I've known these guys for a while. They're all friends of mine already. So I saw Antoine's ad that he was looking for a keyboard player. I said, you know what? I knew the guys already. I knew their sound. I knew the band. They're really a great band. Like, you know what? I think I'd like to be part of this. So I sent him a text saying, hey, man, listen, if you're looking for a keyboard player, I'd be interested. And he, they had no idea it was a keyboard player because they've been playing guitar so long. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I went in and I, and I auditioned and, you know, we got along as far as our humor, as far as the music that we play, how we sounded. And, um, yeah, it went from there pretty much. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how to some degree we were all – friends on some different levels and had common friends all prior to and it just all came together yeah. at some point yeah well at this point i mean if you're traveling to the gig in the van and you have all that gear you better be friends because you know right. we don't exactly. we yeah. don't have enough time to spend too much time with the people we dislike That's right. yeah yeah and then That's peter so uh who plays in what seems to be in many bands because he's multi-talented how, how did you end up uh hooking up with antoine well, I mean, I, I knew him prior, you know, um, and um, but I, I saw the ad and I and I reached out and uh, he said, uh, "What about what about a bass player?" And I suggest I knew about Mark McClemens because he and I did a one-off uh, tribute show and Dirty City for uh, Ghost of Uncle Joe's around right before the pandemic. Uh, we he and I did something with uh, Jerry Polinsky of Lost Romance, and uh, this guy, Joshua Van Ness, who's a killer musician around the Asbury. Sure, he plays in like 19 different bands in the yeah, Asbury. He's ridiculous. So we, we came together to do a one-off, one-show thing as a Stone Roses tribute. And that was an interesting thing, because that guy, that guitar player's parts are a lot harder than you think. And so, uh, and you know, Mark and I got along. You know, that's how I first met him. And then uh, I knew he was a killer bass player. You know, funny guy, you know, hell of a, you know, that's, I'm, you know, like you're saying, and uh, part of it's being able to get along with the person. And then, so when Antoine put that ad out on uh, Facebook or that message out on Facebook, I reached out and, you know, knew each other already. And uh, 
we kind of got stuff going there. And initially, you know, before Dina, Dina and Santos came aboard, we had a different keyboard player and a different drummer, you know, and, but, you know, over the past year, uh, actually it's more like 18 months now, the, you know, the, it's coalesced with, it's coalesced with, you know, with Santos and Dina. And then, you know, within the past year, we've also, our old drummer left and now we have uh, Eddie Enzyme. So, you know, it's, it's been a very good, uh, fruitful project, you know, and I, and that's how I kind of got to the, together with Antoine and, you know, getting to be the only guitar player after spending all the time with two guitars is a little more freeing. And I'm a big Bowie fan. You know, I've seen, um, you know, Love and Rockets years ago and I've seen the cure and, you know, I, I wouldn't call myself a Gothic person per se. I don't have enough makeup, but, uh, but, you know, I've liked all that stuff, you know, I've liked all that glam rock stuff and it's, you know, we have fun. I mean, that's really what it comes out to. Yeah. This man is a hell of a lot of fun. Antoine's a great guy and he's a good songwriter. And that's, that's, uh, that's a big chunk of the battle right there. If you're going to spend time with people. Sure. Yeah. And and when you guys have a gig, I mean, there's a good possibility the other bands on the gig are young enough to be your kids. What's it like? That's true. What's it like? You know, they think you're there to watch your kids play or to lift, you know. What's it like having to be on stage with uh, some of these kids who don't know who some of these great other musicians and bands were who don't have that history? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it just makes you laugh. I mean, at one gig... I asked these kids what they were into and they were like, Oh yeah, we love classic rock, like Nirvana. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, times have definitely changed, but I think a lot of them, you know, because you know, there's so much access to everything, you know, you have a knowledge of everything that's going back to, you know, sixties and fifties. So they hear us and they see a band, you know, of people that have been, you know, working their asses off and being professional for years, you know, and it really shows, you know, there's you know, a great, you know, joy in rock that's sloppy and fun and youthful, but, you know, things have progressed since the medium has been invented and gone along. I mean, everyone, you know, has aged. Unfortunately, a lot of people didn't make it, but, you know, those that have in rock and roll have proved that you can grow older and still make great different art. So one, of the, one of the fun things I love to see when you have a young band that's being sponsored by mom and dad mm-hmm. is, you know, you get this kid on stage and he's playing, you know, a professional American made guitar and he's got yep. the Variax 2200 XLK modeling amp in the 412 cabinet and he could barely play, but he's got, he's got gear that we could have never dreamed of when we, when we were in high school. I had a fuzz mm-hmm. pedal and I thought it was a blessing. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i kind of i kind of take issue with that myself but uh you know because you know you you know they don't well i guess maybe some of those kids don't put in the proverbial ten thousand hours you know because it's but i think but i think because they don't do that you know it just proves the point of no matter how cool your gear is if you can't play it it doesn't matter you know mm-hmm. Sure. No, I, I agree. The, uh, the, one of the problems I find is they're able to mask 
some mm-hmm. of that inexperience, but still have a bit of an ego. But that may be my therapeutic problem as I get older and people get younger. Where are the places in New Jersey where an original band can still play? I, I know Asbury Park's going through a little bit of a change. So where where are the places that you guys have been getting the gigs? Uh, we played at Jimmy's, which is cool. Let's put in Carney for a little while. Um, you know, we have played that QXT's club, which is fun. Uh, Debonair Hall is pretty good. Sure. Debonair Hall. Yeah, from what you said, next to Kelly Rose. Mm-hmm. We're going to play Red Tank in Red Bank uh, on April 7th with yeah, uh, John Fasby and the First Gun and the Dream of When. You know, I miss the dream of when when they came through, but I've seen John Caspi play a bunch of times. Well, um, yeah, you miss them, but they're playing again. I yeah, mean, they're playing a lot, and uh, you know, and that's a again Friday, April seventh. Uh, you know, don't miss it. No cover. Tell them hyping it now. So, uh, but yeah, you know, I think that's been a place where you know a lot of bands play. I mean, you know, at the end of this month, you have Keith Roth and his. Uh, well, it's more of a tribute thing. City Lights playing, you know, so that's that's been a place where, you know, he's been trying to put on as much live music as possible. Mm-hmm. Some of the weird uh, restrictions that these uh, these breweries have now, you know, you can only have so many live events. Oh, I've been I've been reading about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is the, which is the, which is the dumbest thing in the world, in my opinion. But <laughs> but that's but anyway, the, to answer your question, that's one place you have uh, the Chubby Pickle in Highlands. That's, you know, they kind of picked up a little bit where uh, the Brighton left off. I had talked with, um, uh, you know, I talked with uh, with uh, Adam, the guy who runs the place. And when the Brighton shut down, I put him in touch with this guy, Mad Lee, who ran the open mics on Tuesdays. So then some of that clientele kind of migrated over. Sure. So. Uh, there's There's a place here along the shore called is it called salty's salty dog yeah salty's beach bar yeah you, i have not been there yet but i mean i think been... they've they've catered more to more of the grateful deadish kind of jam bad crowd but i've noticed a number of gigs coming through of some alternative bands which is great because i i never the, the one time i've been there i never expected it you you walk into this bar and you go through this double door and there's this beautiful stage with a great PA system and a light system you just would never expect to be behind the bar. And Black Flag's playing there next month. Yeah, that I mean, that is just the <laughs> weirdest place for Black Flag to be uh, performing. So I, I find that very strange. Uh, where do you guys draw your either collective or individual music inspiration from? I've heard uh, Bowie, which sort of inspires people across all different genres of music. Uh, but what are the other things that you that you guys either cut your teeth on or intri- or introduced each other to and now feel is maybe part of the DNA of your own sound? Well, yes. <laughs> I'll take that. Um, no, right across the arts, I mean, I you know so much of you know literature I try to put into words and. You know, just pop culture references. It's kind of like, like I love, you know, almost like this broken glass or broken mirror effect, you know, where you know, it's like, okay, this is kind of this collage snapshot. Then 
break it apart and throw it back together and see if it makes sense to myself or anybody else. <laughs> but uh, we're in burrows of the pride. Yeah, exactly. But you know, I just from a young age too, I loved like mythology and even you know a lot of the stories of the Bible. So that all kind of and like you said in that Nick Cave kind of way, mm-hmm. you know, weaves into this kind of story that's behind all the songs. That's why I said it's not for you know. <laughs> the young crowd that is just into like the teen angst kind of stuff it's you know we're discussing topics beyond that <laughs> you mean there's more emotions than just not liking your parents exactly yeah and now it's like <laughs> we blamed our parents and now we've become our parents and kind of rationalize and understand then <laughs> 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 don't know what we're doing so what about uh dean and santos what about you know what are the things that you were listening to growing up well, funny enough, I just met one of my biggest influences on Sunday, uh, Floyd Vivino, Uncle Floyd. He was playing a lo- his town library, mm-hmm. so I got to meet him. Uh, he, I, I took a lot of my playing style from him when I was younger, uh, so he's one of the guys. Yeah, but he's and, like uh, a honky-tonk kind of, you know, ball piano guy. Yeah, okay. I started playing classical music, but then I started finding ragtime and yeah. old, like, pre-rock stuff. Uh, so I really enjoyed that music. And seeing Uncle Floyd as a kid really brought that home and said, okay, you can play like that. You, you can have actually, fun. Yeah. yeah, you can have fun playing. You know, Because classical music, unfortunately, as much as I love it, uh, the whole presentation is kind of constricting. There is more For a child, av- especially. Yeah. yeah, there's more avant-garde music, which is you know more experimental and different, but it's not really. Yeah, it's kind of fringe stuff. But um, I got into. Let's see, heard my first. I started hearing the Doors. I used to listen to AM radio as a kid, so I'd mm-hmm. hear the Doors, which of course Ray Manzarek, great great organ player, one of my faves. Uh, Jefferson Airplane. I was big into psychedelic rock and also progressive rock. You'd mm-hmm. hear like Roundabout, or you'd hear, you know. Um, I was going to go more Emerson, Lake, and Palmer for you. I was going to say, yes, you'd hear Lucky Man, or you'd hear like, you know, Welcome Back, My Friends. I got an FM radio on my mid teens, so I'd be hearing that. I also hear, you know, uh, Pigpen from The Grateful Dead. I love Pigpen's sound. It's mm-hmm. So he plays a Hammond, or he plays a, a Vox. And it's such a cool tone. So it's it's I play a lot of various I have a lot of various influences that bounce around. So well, a, a quick know, thought: I, Don't you think the sure. Doors would have been a much better band if they had a real bass player? Uh, <laughs> I mean, that just annoys the, that that ignore that that annoys the crap out of me. Their live sound could have been so much better if, uh, if Ray wasn't holding down the bottom end with his left hand. I'm sorry. No, just, I, just a thought. I dug the piano bass. It, it sounds kind of weird, but I, I dug it. It's just like, okay, all right, I get it. it they would definitely be hipper with it. They definitely would have more of a nice bottom end with a real bass player, but they have a brand sound. Yeah, that was their sound. That was their brand. You know, okay. Mm-hmm. And then Jim, of course, being blind drunk, going up there and screaming at the audience, <laughs> which was always fun. Well, <laughs> it was either cutting edge or tragic, depending on your opinion yeah. about things. <laughs> Uh, what did David Thomas say about the Doors? Great band, so bad. So sorry about the that singer, something like that. Well, wow. you know, you could go either way with the Doors, and and I and it's interesting. Yeah. I think you could make the same argument to some extent 
although I absolutely love the band U2 and most of everything they've done. But depending on who you are, either they're spiritual and uh, can move an audience in places that you'd never expected, or they're just overblown, pompous fools who should get off the stage. <laughs> it depends on what people want to say. Um, I, I like most of the Doors music. Some of it may be a little bit much. Um, hey, Peter, you've talked about this before, but just with, with the... Uh, with the goggles of being in the uh, Poncelet band, what were the things that you were listening to growing up that maybe lend itself more to what you're trying to do now as opposed to what you do in the Vigilante Cowboys? I mean, I think the difference is, like, Vigilante Cowboys is based, you know, with, with Mark Donahue. He, his whole deal is um, Paul Westerberg and Johnny Thunders, and it's a two-guitar setup, and it's he's Keith Richards and I'm Ron Wood. Mm-hmm. that's fine you know and i because I, I liked a lot of that stuff too with this uh i i i like you know i grew up liking the doors and i grew up liking yes and and bowie and so a lot of the stuff i i tended to like uh more on my own you know outside of that wouldn't fit in that other band fits wonderfully in this band mm-hmm. i always love anytime i have a chance to play with a keyboard player it's fun because mm-hmm. you know i'm and i'm a i'm one of those guys that you know, if if I if I don't have anything to do and I've left the, uh, the whole day to myself, I'll watch a ton of like Rick Beato videos about all you know and all this you know all the all the music nerd stuff because I listen to jazz, I listen to you know psychedelia. I like Yes. I uh, not an ELP fan, but I'm more Yes. And um, well, I have to ask which version of Yes because Yes has essentially been three or four different bands over the years. Well, you know, I'll be honest. Like as a kid, because I think you and I are the same age. You know, I first liked them you know, when they became current, you know, like 901, you know, you know 90125, right? Mm-hmm. And that was a big version. And, you know, I liked that 80s version. It had what it had, and the videos were cool because, you know, we're kids. And then I went backwards, mm-hmm. you know, and I went, my my favorite Yes album is actually the Yes album, the one before Fragile. It's rough enough. It's, 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 it's pretty progressive enough, but it's poppy and then it's it's not over overdone on production um and then with other stuff like i was a bowie fan uh i saw Iggy pop open for the pretenders in 87 when i lived in virginia because he had that blah 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 comeback and i've seen Iggy pop two other times and uh you know so and you know i i went i you know like when i listen to albums i'll sometimes do an album i'll listen to an album i'll listen to it repeatedly for a few months or a few weeks so, like, I was into um, the Aladdin Sane album. When when they started doing those reissues of Bowie, I got the Aladdin Sane one, kept, wouldn't stop listening to that. And, you know, so a lot of a lot of what, you know, is being done in this band kind of fits really more aligned with what I like. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I loved, you know, British Invasion stuff, you know, and I love The Doors, and I, you know, I'm, I'm a you know, 52 year old child of like FM rock radio. And, and so, you know, and then you, you brought it up before, but as a guitar player, so there's no other guitar player taking up your sonic part of the spectrum. Is it easier for you to play with a second guitar player or a keyboard player? Um, see, I, 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 I think that depends. I think, I think uh, because the way this this band is created, you know, I mean, 
it's um i think i i i think i think with this band you know we have songs are set up a certain way you know because it's mostly antoine's songs and i i've started to contribute a little bit i uh i just look at it as i i just worry about providing the the chords and the accompaniment and then i don't have a problem trading off with the keyboard player or the bass player i mean mm-hmm. you know i i you know i'm i don't you know i i don't i'm i don't need to solo every two seconds so uh i don't mind you know i worry about the rhythm first and then i put everything i everything else up later so I, I built from the bottom up and then when i played with the second guitar player like in vigilante cowboys um i kind of got very good at uh playing the inversion so if say and it, this would happen if antoine did this too if either mark donahue or say antoine played like an open e chord right i would play an inversion higher i'm used to doing that because mm-hmm. Especially if you didn't have a guitar, if you didn't have a keyboard player, because and that's what I did in the Giant Cowboys. In this band, since Antoine's not playing the guitar, I'll play lower voicings, mm-hmm. and that'll give room for, say, the keyboard player to play something. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's, it's just about knowing your theory and your voicings, and you know, you try to, you know, I, I guess I'm the guy that took lessons for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I know that's, you know, I know most rock guys don't but i did and then now i I mean if i were a kid learning now there's so much information now now. my my son taught himself playing to play the guitar he's 25 now from youtube yeah yeah way to do it i mean between youtube and those sites that have all the tab what you can get now it's so oh me trying to figure out a beatles song on my record changer in 1974 <laughs> when i was 10 and then sort of pushing the record back and trying to hear that part again that that that's, I mean, that's I, a world I, I that doesn't lucky, exist I was, lucky that yeah. I, I was lucky that my teacher taught me a little bit about reading music in the 80s when tablature became common enough but if i had the access that i have now like when i was at that age I would be like, I'd be in Berkeley, or you know, yeah. I would have, I, I probably would have like, or God only knows how much I would have learned faster. Sure. Um, oh, I want to say something if, if it's okay with you guys. Of course. Um, I, I have to say, between between Pete and me, there's a really good synergy. We have, we crack each other up. I I have to say, I can't stress enough how much of a fun bunch of people. This band is there. A lot of fun. They've got great sense of humor. They, we crack each other up. Yeah. But I can look at Pete, and we can look at something and, and laugh our asses off immediately, and then get the playing down. Yeah. So it works very well. You know, it's it's a good it's a good way of going back and forth. We trade fours on yeah. solos like that. So it, it's good. It's a good. I, uh, it's a good way so, of doing so, it. So yeah, because I I kind of look at it, Doug. Like you know, like I listen, you know, for fun. I mean. Like, because I work from home, so I'll, I'll listen to like a lot of jazz stuff, like you know, fifties and sixties jazz, where it's like Grant Green with uh, you know, Jimmy, like uh, or Joyce, uh, Jamie Smith or somebody like that, and you know, and that, and that's why, and I think if you listen to that stuff, you don't worry about oh, how does it feel to be an old guy in rock and roll? Well, mm-hmm. old guys kept playing the Lord friggin' drop dead, so you know, that doesn't. Yeah, I'm sorry, but you were gonna say. No, it's gonna say so. How does this writing process work? Do do one of you bring a riff, or Antoine, do you bring 
a completed sort of acoustic song or just lyrics? How do you produce a song? Um, well, it's definitely evolving, which is excellent. But initially, it was, um, again, almost as like an inside joke. Like, this is, you know, Antoine Poncelet's like greatest hits, you know, and there's some songs that have where, you know, I wrote in like high school, you know, and of, you know, some songs that I was the main and only writer in Precious Bones, and then songs that I just never really had done anything with. So with this band, it, because everyone is just so knowledgeable and knows things about inversions and modes and, you know, all this kind of stuff that I don't really have that kind of knowledge of, um, you know, it was almost like putting it through this great meat grinder and out comes this beautiful arrangement and it's a whole new thing. So um, up until, well, a couple months ago, I guess uh, Pete and I ended up just kind of, you know, spontaneously writing a song. Mm-hmm. And, and now more recently, you know, Pete has a song that he's written on his own. Um, Mark has brought in a song. And like I said, it's kind of, you're bringing in the chordals arrangement and then we're just kind of bringing ourselves into it. And... Are you the main writer of the words? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I feel kind of strange. I mean, it's almost selfish in a way, but, you know, singing someone else's words, like, I'm always also have issues with covers. You know, I'm kind of <laughs> twisting my arm into doing them occasionally. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know. Yeah, well, I, I thought it. Well. <laughs> I, I'm fine, Doug. I'm fine with just providing, you know, usually I and in the past, in previous bands, I would just come up with a music and a title, you know, mm-hmm. or, or or just music, like, because, you know, a lot of, I, you know, I, I, even with my previous band, you know, Mark was uncomfortable singing uh, lyrics that weren't necessarily his. So I, I get it. And that's, uh, you know, again, I think it's about creating a good song. Like, one of the songs we play a lot like now is a song called Strange Violence, where, you know, I think, I had, uh, you know, like when we first started playing together, Antoine and I, we were playing this gig at this, uh, at this little convention out in Pennsylvania. Um, and he was talking about, uh, you know, uh, interesting relationship situation. I said, you should write a song about that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and, you know, we were there for the weekend. And uh, so the next day, you know, we're hanging around. He goes, oh, I have an idea. Went back up to, uh, you know, his room, and I just borrowed his guitar and started hammering out, you know, a riff I had, you know, basic bluesy riff and E, and then I had some other parts, and we fashioned the song out of that. We had a skeleton, and then we brought it to everybody else, and, uh, you know, we helped create an arrangement, and, and uh, you know, uh, Mark McClamens, his nickname is The Clam, mm-hmm. uh, fashioned a little bridge, you know, because I didn't have that part. And, uh, you know, we kind of made a whole song out of it. We just, hopefully we'll have it on streaming services soon. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that's, you know, it's Antoine's band, but everyone has, you know, everyone has a chance to collaborate. So, yeah. Oh, sorry. No, no go ahead, it. please. Uh, it, it changed my expectations. Like, I thought it was going to be more of just, you know, me you know, making demands and, you know, <laughs> trying to say, right, you're you're doing this. but like I said, I was almost, 
you know, so in awe of like what everyone was just naturally coming up with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll. But does that free you to concentrate more on the theme and the mood and then the, the performance piece? Oh, definitely. I mean, that's what I, like I said, I was putting, you know, as soon as I was able to put down the guitar and people know the songs enough and they're really a set thing, then I could, you know, because of my, well, I was never in theatrics or plays or anything, but I always had that love of that kind of, you know, those bands. Yeah, but if you, if you don't put on the spectacle, then, right. you know, the, so the, like, the oh. audience is there for the music and the visuals, right? So that's, that's going to mm-hmm. fall on you. Right. No, I although, I, although I have to say, Peter is in the right light a rather handsome fella, but yeah. you're front in the band, so you know this is the, that's your that's your part of the gig, right? <laughs> so before we hit record, you're saying that you're working on putting a formal single recording together. Tell me about what's going on with that, what song you're picking, and what you want to do with that. Yeah, well, um, Pete can give you more of the factual timeline details but we were you know basically all that we did a bunch of recordings with uh the bass player of john caspi's band mm-hmm. and you know most of them featured our original drummer and keyboard player this is how long ago it was so sure. well over here and it's just taken a lot of time to organize little things like oh we should change this part oh let's add more backing vocals oh let's change you know do this now we, you know, we don't like these levels. So we're finally done with mixing and they're currently being mastered. And I'm hoping to kind of do, instead of just putting something out there, you know, make it fun for ourselves and for people. And you know, would of, you, are you looking to have like a release party sort of thing? Um, well, we're going to be playing like Pete said in red tank in a, on the seventh mm-hmm. and, you know, hopefully we can have something to give to people. Um, make any full promises but as far as being online definitely sometime in april well i have to tell you i don't i don't own a cd player anymore mm-hmm. my computer doesn't have a disc slot anymore right. i don't think i've ever put a cd in my car so what <laughs> what do you give people these days just like the barcode and say listen to it on your own well, pretty much yeah i mean uh i'm gonna put everything up on you know Bandcamp and spotify and this and that so Probably the best we can do now is like scan this code and we'll yeah. do it. But th- that that presents sort of the biggest problem. It's it's a new problem that bands have in the computer age. So you know, when I was growing up, the best we could afford was the the Sony Tascam four track that would only record two tracks at a time. Oh, now yeah. you buy the cheapest Macintosh and you literally have a sixteen track recording studio. That I mean, these kids are making amazing things. We didn't have the internet or Instagram and stuff. And I look, my me and the guitar player, my old band, we would walk around New York City with cassettes and drop them off at places and beg for gigs. It is so easy to get the music out now. It, it's mm-hmm. it, and and with a minimal expense, you could get a slick sounding product out there. Yeah. But now it seems like everybody has a band and a slick sounding product. How do you? get yours to rise above the others you know what what are you doing maybe a little differently or maybe you don't want to tell anybody your magic but how do you get people to hear your sound in an atmosphere where there's a cacophony of sound in in every outlet right well just like mainly by being slicker and faster (laughs) right i mean but is, is it still 
like Peter said before, like the 10,000 hours, is it still just gigging and earning your bones? Um, yeah, it's definitely a combination. I think, you know, from what I've seen, it's like, you know, the more you're sharing little clips on TikTok and, and you know, getting the interest of people that, I mean, well, I could say the majority of my friends never come out to shows because they have families and just it's not their inclination anymore mm-hmm. you know, but they love to see you online they love to download the tracks and stuff like that so you know unless you have or a part of the scene where like you know everyone's really supporting each other and they all go you know from show to show mm-hmm. yeah like i said you almost I mean, have to be just kind of digital you gotta pester people yeah. a little you know you just do i mean i, I don't think that changes you know i mean you know instead of handing out the flyers you, you just emails <laughs> well it, you know it's interesting because you know all the young bands are you know reminding people come out to the show you know it's, it's good to come to the show but the truth is is that people are very busy um especially you know kid people with younger kids and all but it's it's still nice to see you know the wonder bar filling up i i mean right now the saint isn't open but the nice thing about the Saint is you could draw a small crowd and still feel like you're playing to a packed room, and that's that's a much better. I'd rather play to a smaller room, packed with fewer people, than a bigger room with the same number of people, and it looks like most of the floor is empty. So, yeah. have you been successful in reminding people to come out to see you play? Uh, for the most part, I think um, it's great that we have Pete. He's a like a social media hound. He's almost like. Yeah. Uh, girl <laughs> he he's very magnetic i ran into him oh yes, yes. i mean he should post um, more of himself too but right no i Pete, what, what what was uh i ran into you at the bumper shoot and the six Denver. to nine mathematics show up in uh is that yeah, Tierney's in montclair yeah that was yeah. Up, uh, that was up in um in montclair uh, right Tierney. yeah Tierney's. yeah and i gotta tell you he knew everybody in the room oh, yeah. i'm, su- yeah, I'm yeah, surprised peter doesn't sell yeah. insurance he'd be he'd make a killing <laughs> yeah, little friends of ours. I, mean, I, I think I think it I think it's out of just pure uh, war of attrition. You just, I'm too stupid to do anything else at this point. But uh, <laughs> I mean, but uh, but yeah, well, you know that. Should, I mean, I think kind of circling back to your earlier question, you know, I think for every place that doesn't seem to that goes away, you know, you still have places that have live shows like Tierney's, you know, I mean, Christ, I played their God, the previous century, mm-hmm. you know, a different band. I mean, like they still seem, and it's funny. They seem to have stepped up a little bit more, you know, because before it was more like uh, maybe deadhead stuff, but now they'll just book whatever, you know, for live shows. And that's become a thing again with that place. And uh, I think well, as long as people show up and drink and not break things, I don't think yeah. they really care about what band is playing, right? No, you're right. That's true. Tyrannies is very egalitarian that way. They don't. It's not like you know certain certain other clubs that have a vibe, and we can we have to have you, but not you, and this yeah. and that. You know, and I think, but I also think that because of what's going on now, that that whole aspect's kind of gone away a little bit, which is great because I always thought that was stupid. But, um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I did know, I did know a few people there because I mean, you know, I mean that Bamberdos show, right. Yeah. That, um, 
Eddie, our drummer, our current drummer, was playing with that guy, Paul Mall. Yeah, yeah. And on bass was Jack Gibson, and Jack and Eddie go back to U.S. Chaos. Yeah. And so you have that connection there. And then um, in 6-8, you know, um, yeah, I've known Alana for, you know, for over 20 years, you know, mm-hmm. casually. And actually she, speaking of background vocals, like, She's doing a background vocal on one of her songs. Oh, that's fantastic. So, you know, we had to corral some of those people. So, mm-hmm. you know, to get little guest stars to get people to listen to our stuff, you know? I mean, little tricks like that. Um, I you mean, know, I, in the music world, it's always just two degrees of separation. Everybody knows not, somebody. Not more than that, right? Poor Paul. Yeah. Paul, I'm sure his last name isn't Maul, but Paul Maul. <laughs> Uh, he's got this beautiful uh, Gibson double cutaway uh, with the P90 pickups, which I love, uh, but was complaining it wouldn't stay in tune. And it's that TV yellow one. And I got to tell him, next time you run into Paul, you, look, if he's unhappy with that guitar and he needs to give it away, I'll gladly put new tuners on that and keep that for myself. <laughs> you know, he's complaining about a $5,000 instrument right there. I'd kill to have that guitar. A beautiful sounding guitar. So. Mm-hmm. Can it's I not... just uh, bring something up because it's it's a beautiful segue real sure. quick for sound of the guitar that you would kill for. Yeah. And also uh, uh, how blessed we all are in terms of having access to the internet and being able to, you know, in, have an instant recording studio with any computer that we can buy at an average store. Sure. And whatnot. Sure. And kind of come back to the question that you asked earlier about influences growing up and listening to. Um I grew up, as you can tell from my accent, behind the Iron Curtain. Uh, and uh, you're not from was, Canada. What <laughs> uh, Canada? Never heard of it. Okay. Um, so uh, that was a joke before you guys came, yeah. came uh, into the, into the uh, recording. And uh, um, as as a child growing up, I was listening. We had plenty of beautiful music, but it was all like state sanctioned. Uh, you know. Um, patriotism safe kind of music you know very censored uh anything from abroad was extremely censored but wasn't there like a thriving underground of that the underground vinyl and then when things were digital as a a kid i never had a chance to get exposed to that as a as a you know as you're growing up and then as as a teenager when i was in my like 14 15 years old i started hanging out with some older kids in my school and um there were a few people who kind of started introducing me to that underground sound and underground rock, which was mostly based out of uh, which is now known as St. Petersburg, uh, original name. It was Leningrad at the time and some other regions from Ufa and whatnot. And a lot of that underground rock that has this wonderful mix of uh, it's a little bit progressive. It's a little bit uh, hard rock and there's uh, some, influences from different parts of the world but as would, well. But would you also but find that music was more lyrical. political, though? Was, was there more of a protest political stand to that underground music? It, it wasn't just political. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was also social. It wasn't just about anti-communism. It's, it's, it was also about the reality of the world as it is, mm-hmm. and either accepting that reality or, you know, breaking through that reality. But musically and lyrically, it was just something eye-opening and I was very fortunate to be exposed to that and then as I was getting older 
we couldn't just go to the store and buy the record. I didn't listen to Bowie when I was a teenager because it was not available to me. Mm -hmm. I didn't know most of the bands that you guys tossed the names around until I was well into my 20s when I came to the States. And the first uh, music of the, that classic rock that I was listening to, my first experiences for several years were in an awful qualities of sound because those were the records that you probably heard of people were smuggling through the border and then recording a copy and then give somebody gives you the copy then you make a copy sure. for yourself give somebody else a copy and by the time it trickles down to you 100 people later mm. and that's how i got and the, the sound was extremely scratchy very very bad there was no stereo sound it was just you just get the concept of what sure. it is when you're listening and that's how i got to listen to you know to uh, to ozzy to iron maiden to jethro tall and to some of the uh, uh, progressive rock sounds, some of the yes I got to listen to as well and whatnot. And then when I came to New Jersey, the, to the United States, uh, first couple of years, just the people who surrounded me, I was just uh, connected to a little bit of alternative rock. But once I discovered that progressive rock is actually a progressive rock and it exists and there's mm -hmm. a lot of bands out there and I started researching and connecting with people so you guys grow up you can listen on the radio you can go to the music store your friends can um uh, influence you and share it with you and please please remember that it's a blessing that you're so fortunate sure. and remind the kids remind them that they're fortunate that they can just if they inspire they can just turn off the computer and start recording something and not to take it for granted if they have that um drive inside them and if they have that desire to express they should just go for it because it's there it's only there for you sure sure you know i've yeah. we've talked a little bit about progressive music and and you talk about yes there are there are two bands that you haven't mentioned i was curious if you'd listen to uh what about king crimson and pink floyd Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Moody yeah. Blues, too. Yeah, Moody Blues. And King yeah. Crimson yeah, but you know, the Moody myself. Blues don't get the credit that they seem to deserve. They seem That's to be right. a second-tier yeah. band below uh, Pink Floyd. Mike Pinder is another of my big influences. What he does with, with a Mellotron instrument is phenomenal. Those guys are really just, they're on, they're, yeah. they're on there. They're on it, for sure. Yeah, I got to say, I brought my, 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 my kid used to go to all of my uh, progressive rock shows with me. <laughs> he got to see Crimson. Uh, uh, I've been, I took him to, on the cruise to the edge many times. We've seen some obscure progressive rock bands. I'm a big Marillion fan. I've been to a bunch of weekends. Actually, Santos is going with me this year to see Marillion mm -hmm. in Montreal. He's a brave and man. Whatnot. Yeah. And, I uh, just got to uh, meet my guitar hero, um, Adrian Ballou and Jerry uh, Harrison I, have been talking. Oh, that yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yes, that's wonderful. I went to that show. So, I, Peter, I, you were in Starland, right? Yeah, I went to the Starland show, but I didn't get to meet Adrian. I, well, so I went to this. I did the Starland show as the photographer. Right. And, and then that. an old, old friend of mine went the following Thursday in New York, and we got wow. the VIP package. Oh, and I got oh, to wow. I got to have the geekiest, dorkiest conversation about cars <laughs> with Adrian Ballou for about ten minutes. It was really a thrill. I I I, I, I was like a I did the peon thing and went outside and I got Jerry Harrison's autograph. Yeah, on a couple of things, but I waited for Adrian. But then the guy, the security guy, said, oh, he's just going to go on to his hotel. Yeah, they're going to they're going to go Pennsylvania. I'm like, all right. Didn't you think the show was a little flat at Starland that day for them? They seemed a little tired to me. I mean, 
I guess, but I was having a freaking great time. I mean, yeah, I but know. let me tell you, the the performance on Thursday was a little bit more spirited. I, you know, I mean, look, it's hard, right? Because Talking Heads is a New York band, right? Mm-hmm. And when you when you, if you're playing Manhattan, you're pretty much playing in the backyard. You know, when you play when you play Starland, that's an unusual show for Starland Ballroom. It is because I don't I don't get to Starland too often, if only because. The bands that they're booking aren't the bands that I'm necessarily. And they usually have like new metal or cut or like or like current country, which it, that's the demographic. And I can't yeah, really get that's it's making them so. living. I thought Starland, I thought that was an interesting gig as opposed to maybe them playing the the bassy or something that might be considered a little artier. But, but you know, but Starland's I, got a great sound and a good sound system and a clean bathroom, and that's all I can ask as a grown up. For me, it's fifteen minutes from my <laughs> grown up. <laughs> It's 15 minutes from where I'm sitting, Doug. Yeah. So you're, I'm an idiot if I didn't go to that show. I mean, I'm just... Well, if, if you grew up in the 80s at all playing the guitar... Now, I'm yeah. I'm closing in on 60, but, you know, I I didn't put up pictures of hot-looking, you know, calendar women in my bedroom. I had a picture from Guitar Player Magazine of Adrian Ballou selling the first guitar synthesizer. That was like, that was like my wow. worship point. And when, uh, when Jen and I got married... Uh, 28 years ago uh we we promised we we could get whatever gift we wanted for ourselves as part of the fun um i have no recollection what i got jen but she bought me my rack mount guitar synthesizer setup and that was that was my introduction to midi guitar but i was not only was i happy that i was getting married to this wonderful person who puts up with my ocd crap but I, I landed a MIDI guitar setup. I, I was the happiest man on the planet. Yes, you. Yes, yeah. And I, I think it's funny. I mean, I run Logic on my computer, and, you know, I have a bunch of external hard drives for samples and recording. And at this point, I could have the Beatles in, and we could do a pretty good, pretty pretty close rendition to Sgt. Pepper if we wanted to. I mean, yeah. it's, it's right there at our fingertips. Um What's next for the Antoine Poncelet band? What are you guys hoping to do post-COVID in the next year? Hmm. Well, I'd like to, to make it in the movies one day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Antoine is the Phantom of the Park. <laughs> I think it would more be like the Antoine Poncelet band uh, versus the Mummy Man. You know, something to go back to like an Abbott and Costello theme. <laughs> Yeah, the curse of the mummy returns. <laughs> no, um, it's hopefully, throughout this, <laughs> hopefully throughout this year, like I said, we'll be releasing singles, just playing shows, and hopefully bringing more people into the fold mm-hmm. and uh, you know, sharing this lovely music. Sure, it's it. I. I, uh, I'm always impressed with, with some of the, I'll refer to you as the non-youngster folk yeah. who get on stage and, and show these young whippersnappers how to do it, right? How to do it but, right. But I got to right. say that, Doug, I mean, that show that you and I, that we ran into each other, mm-hmm. I think, oh, what, do you, what would you say was the average age of that whole crowd? Of which show was that? The, the, the one, Tyrannies, when we were Tyrannies. None of those. None of those people were. Oh uh, no! It was an older demographic, uh, and because all of the bands there are obviously a few years out of college, and I think that's great. That look, I, I don't have really many regrets, but I had friends who, right out of college or in the middle of college, they jumped in the van, they put their band together, they they 
played all over the country and they slept on the floor. When I lived in Chicago, my friends would crash on my at my apartment and you know, I I was never brave enough to do that. I couldn't figure out what do you do to do that. And it's nice to see friends who are older who who still say I've got something to say and 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 I know the feeling and I feel it through my photography certainly with with me playing the guitar though essentially I just do it for myself these days but it, it's like if you didn't do it you'd feel like you're missing out that that there was a part of you that was missing because you weren't creating something and and then I certainly appreciate that effort oh, absolutely it's nice. mm -hmm. So we have spent the better part of an hour with the Antoine Poncelet band. I'm going to work on saying your name a lot better there. I'm glad you weren't one of my students. I would have hacked my way through that. Is there anything I forgot to ask that you wanted to bring up? You got some big gigs coming up. We're going to put those in the show notes. You're working on releasing a single and having something more official. You know, what else do we need to know to, to call this a complete afternoon? Yeah, I've got a pretty uh, busy spring and early summer schedule. You know, and uh, we're hoping to do more, you know, try to try to play. I want to guess to play more down in Asbury. Yeah, I'd like know. to see you down in Asbury. Well, certainly, Peter, why don't you either email me or send me all those dates so I could put it in the show well, notes? Definitely. And, uh, you know, it's been a pleasure finally meeting you guys and appreciate that we've we had to reschedule a few times. I, I blame my children on that and yeah. uh, mm -hmm. keep in touch and become famous so I could ride your coattails. <laughs> thank you thank you so much for having us right. thank you so much for thank spending you, some time with us and i'm sure we'll talk again soon you got it excellent all right have a good one